Let's go. Hey, Mary, I'm dollar waiting on a dime. I've been, I've been good to go since four till. I just couldn't get your attention. And I do love you, by the way. Let's pray. Here we go. Second Sunday in Advent. You can tell by the candles dripping on the floor. Oh, Lord, Heavenly Father, who through your Son has revealed to us that heaven and earth shall pass away, we beg you, keep us faithful, guard us from all sin, preserve us amid temptation, so that our hearts may not be overcharged with the cares of this life, but at times of watchfulness and prayer, we may await the return of your Son and joyful, joyfully cherish the expectation of eternal salvation. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Amen. That, that pretty much gets it all, right? So you're a little bit nervous, but it'll all be taken care of. Life's pretty good. Here we go. All right, so many things to chatter about. Uh, sad stuff first. Pat Golke passed away. Uh, last week, so many of your friends, if you would pass the word a little bit. Uh, I've heard that the funeral will be here at 11 a.m. on Friday. So um, some of you who are younger may not know the Gulkies. El was a fabulous elder for many, many years. Uh, he passed away a few years ago. Uh, his lovely wife, uh, Pat, has passed away. So um, good life, well spent in the church. Friday, 11 a.m. right here. If you could tell your friends, that would be great, okay? Uh, then, thanks to the Walther High Choir today. Now, I don't know if anybody from Walther has made it in here yet. Lori and Maurice uh, Boyer. So Lori's the sorry and didn't get there yet. But if you want to rush ahead because you need to empty your wallet, you can be sure that that'll go to the People's Resource Center. So throw some money in that and, you know, it's all going to be great. Well, so thanks to the Walther uh, kids, they were, they were great. It was very refreshing. They were they sang well. Uh, if you're going to church at the late service, go five minutes early so that you can hear their introductory piece. It's glorious. Okay? So I'm sure they're tending things, but say thanks to them. There's a bunch of kids. There must be 40 kids here. So, all right. Then after that, um, go ahead and square up your year-end giving. Uh, it's been very strong, but uh, the treasurer, you know, I make this public service announcement on behalf of the treasurer and John Crow. So, you know, square if you're giving and, um, you know, have a good look at things. And thanks for being so generous. And actually, you know, this old thing where we talk about money so we don't have to talk about money. You know, we haven't talked about money for kind of a long time. It's, it's kind of nice. So I'll remind you now, and then we won't talk about it for a little bit. But you've been very faithful. Um, keep going, please. All right, just any logistical questions about things? Oh, one more thing. Advent suppers. So here's, here's my thing as a pastor. I, you know, it's fun to goof around with all of you, but I see, well, first is, could you believe how quiet the early service was with all those kids? So you have to give them credit on weeks when they're very quiet and good. It was startling how quiet it was with so many kids. So thanks to you and your kids, that was really, really great. Um, when I come on Wednesday nights, I notice that one thing that's happening that's very positive is what we want to happen. We want people to have good memories of church. We want kids to come to church, feel good about it. We want them to think of it as a place where they see their friends and everybody's included. What's happened is we have so many kids, you know, 30, 40, sometimes 50, you know, we don't put anything out for them. We, go, we let them go downstairs and rifle around in the um, lost and found. Last week they found a doll head, which became a football, which <laughs> then became dodgeball, you know. So, of course, I'm thinking to myself, we could probably do And they're playing up here, and they're trying not to make noise. But here's the thing. You know my only rule for kids really is um, no crying, no stitches. I can just kind of see crying and stitches in our future. So <laughs> there's, just, there's just too many kids having too much fun. So we're going to try something on Wednesday. We're going to reverse, uh, reverse the flow. We're going to give the gym to the kids, and we're going to eat here and in the mezzanine. 
I don't know exactly how this is going to work. Take it as an experiment of putting the kids in the gym and letting them have a space. I think that we'll get a couple of uh, probably college sitters. However, you know, we're also going to do some things like run the line in there so that there, you have eyeballs on your kids, at least for the initial thing. And if you're a parent and you want to wander in there, and we just want to see whether we can do a little bit better before something goes wrong and then everybody has to get bent. So uh, make sense? We'll give it a try. We'll give it a try. If it doesn't work, we can easily flip back. Yes, sir. Along those lines, just a little humor on that subject. We were at a hole-in-the-wall restaurant in Memphis. There was a sign on the wall that said, we love your children, please keep them at your table. Any child found unattended by an adult for five minutes will be given a shot of espresso and a free puppy. <laughs> it sounds like a great line item for the budget next year. Remind uh, the proper committee. We'll take a dozen puppies and an espresso machine, please. And I, whatever it takes to get people to love Jesus. Well done, Mr. Cooper. Thank you very much. Anyway, so come, come Wednesday. Um, if it looks different, the reason is we want kids to be happy. We want your kids to have, I, I know, you know, myself included oftentimes, and then many of you, you know, church wasn't a place where you were happy to go or where people embraced you. We want, it to, we want their one memory to be, and this is often so true at St. John, a place where people love them and they feel free and they see their friends and it's happy and they want to go. Right? They want to go see their friends. They want to come to church. So, and I appreciate how much, how gentle you are with kids. I know, you know, haven't been knocked down from behind myself, fully vested, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, it was a great tackle. It was just a shoestring right before I scored at the door. Uh, you know, it can happen, uh, but, but, you know, my artificial hip is it's working out great, but yours may not. You may have one leg shorter than another. So we need to kind of tend this, okay? All right, now to the prayer stuff. Um, I'm a little bit behind or a little bit ahead, depending on how you take the spirit of the day. You can either say, oh, we're two outlines behind, or you could say, look at that glorious preparation, right? Next St. John will be putting a man on Mars. So there you go. Um, here's the story. This is a very simple story. I'm sure you figured it out by now. You're bright people. Christians know they should pray. Pray without ceasing. Jesus tells us to pray. Uh, it comes to us. It, it's often difficult for us, and it can make us feel bad about ourselves. And we can also get frustrated because we have this notion that there's a transaction like putting money in a vending machine. You put your prayer in, and you push the button, and your answer pops out at the bottom. There's a range of things that can discourage us in our praying. Interestingly, I don't know that the scriptures ever talk about um, go ahead and stop praying if you don't get exactly what you want. What seems to be the case is that you're encouraged to pray and pray and pray, and it is in the praying that the good happens. You know, John Wooden, the journey, not the game, right? In the deed, right? The doing. You've heard this from a thousand people before. It actually happens to be true for your prayer life as well. So the important thing is that you pray. Um, I read something today. There was a saint's day this week, St. Alfonso, who um, used to feed poor kids, and everybody would get nervous, and he'd say something like, um, now we'll all pray, and then Jesus can worry about it. Yeah, not bad, right? 
Now we can all pray and Jesus can worry about it. We'll get to that later where you can let Jesus worry about things that you're worrying about. I just was flipping through last night. Um, I don't have any personal experience with this. There was an illustration of um, a man sleeping soundly and a woman who appeared to be his wife in the middle of the night with her cell phone looking like this with a terrified look on her face. Now, I don't have any personal experience with this. Okay? And the line was, why, adult, why, why, adults, why, why parents still worry about their older children, right? Yeah, because you can see everything they're doing. By the way, am I the only guy who yesterday discovered SantaCon on both coasts? Who knew you could get drunk, dress up like Santa, walk around New York City or um, of San Francisco, and everybody would say, yeah, that's normal for the season. <laughs> Do you know about this, SantaCon? It's my first discovery of this. I should have suspected when my, I said, hey, can we talk? And one of my kids texted back and said, no, I'm celebrating Christmas. Of course, what came to mind for me was baby in a manger. But I since have learned there are other celebrations of the season going on. In any case, just wait, you yonkers. It's coming to you. If you start to worry, say your prayers and call the zellers. So uh, the whole point of this is not about sort of Jimmy and God around until you get what you want. Your job is to pray. God's job is to answer. Now, because we find that discouraging... I've tried to give you, this has been kind of simple, right? I've tried to lure you in over the first few weeks to begin to say very short prayers that would express the things that you're concerned about or thankful for. But mostly it comes to us as concern. We're worried about this or hope for that or nervous about this or in pain because of that. And so these very short prayers, Jesus help me, right? Or thank you very much. Or remember my, yeah, right? And then I just, you know, only last week sort of pushed you all the way to the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus gives you his own prayer to pray. And so pray it, right? That was just kind of the simple argument. If you just pray it, pray it a couple times a day. Morning and evening is a tradition of um, Christians. Just pray it. And then, you know, I don't even want to say to you, see what happens, because if I do that, then I create some expectation that you're back to the um, theological vending machine. You put in your prayer, you get what you want. How about say your prayers and let Jesus worry about it? So this is as far as we sort of come, which is if you can start, when things come to mind, so this is kind of the challenge, when things come to mind that are troubling to you, that you're thankful for, that you're worried about, that you don't understand, just a very short prayer expressing this to Jesus. Oh, Jesus, help me with, or Jesus, remember my, you know, yes, somebody who's dying or sick, or please, you know. Start there, and then sort of the next kind of bump up is to say the Lord's Prayer and to say it as your own. Lord, teach us to pray. Okay, when you pray, I'll give you my prayer. And you can pray it just like me. And that's this beautiful thing where you pray it because you're in the family. People listen to you, right? People take your advice, and people always ask for your best. That's the divine family, and you're part of that. So that's as far as we've come. Uh, now, I'm at, on the outline says number five. I'm at just point number three, because it took me a little while to get through point number two last week, right? So the one that says number five, praying ourselves thankfully await. I just want to observe two things in your prayers as you go forward. So these short bursts of prayer throughout your day, which I hope will then become a habit. 
that instead of swearing, uh, you know, you might come to a prayer instead. Or instead of throwing up your hands in worry or disgust, you might pray for your enemies, as Jesus says, or say the Lord's Prayer, right? So here's a little text from Colossians 4, verse 2 through 6, okay? So um, this is just normal talk to Christians. You know, Paul to the church at Colossae. And, you know, Paul's their pastor, and he's saying to them what I hope to say to you, which is, hey, this is what Christians do, okay? This is the Christian life. Pay attention to this. This is what we do. This is what we've always done. This is how, now think about the Lord's prayer from last week. This is how heaven and earth are interlocked. This is how God is present, not distant. This is how God is for you, not against you. This is how you activate around you all the blessings that God intends to give you. Okay. Devote yourselves. So this word devote, I'm going to, you know, I didn't give you all the Greek words because there's too many of them, and, but, but kind of, I'm just going to kind of flesh them out for a little bit. Devote yourselves to prayer. So this is sort of, uh, devote is kind of, a, it, it is what it means, devote or devotion, but it's, it's this with, with a lot of strength and with endurance, with perseverance, right? So with, a, with kind of strength that prevails. So the point is, of course, keep going. Make this your habit, Okay. Do this all the time. Pray without ceasing. Devote yourselves to prayer. And then this very simple thing, being watchful and thankful. Now, here's the thing. These are not natural things that happens to us, it seems to me, that our prayers start with being watchful and thankful. Um, sometimes our prayers start with being obedient. Jesus says to pray so that we pray. More often, I think our prayers are stimulated by pain. Right? So... Here's another reason for you to be praying. And I actually want to kind of talk today about your perspective. This is very popular right now in the broader media. I'm going to try to show you uh, where you would see this exact same thing kind of in our life today. Okay, So devote yourselves to prayer, which is design Trump's willpower. Make this your habit. Set aside a time. Do this as a regular basis. Try to develop this habit. Keep going regardless of whether or not you're right. That's all in devote. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful. And this is a, the word for staying awake in the night. We're going to do this another day when we talk about prayer as standing guard duty. That's going to come later. But notice that this same, so later we'll talk about how you stand guard for your spouse, for your children, for your extended family, for your pastors, for your congregation. And then you know, let the concentric circle sort of flow out to your neighborhood, your nation, the rest of the world, and when Jesus comes again. Do, 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 do. It just keeps going, right? So your watchfulness is you stay awake. You have to be engaged as a, as a Christian. You have to be engaged. You have to know where the troubles lie. You have to see where danger is coming. Um, but you also are rejoicing in the things that are good. And by the end of this hour, what I'm going to try to convince you is there's a lot of good, and I'm going to try to get you focused on that. So stay awake means pay attention to the world. Be engaged. Read the news. Talk to kids. Listen to what's going on in the world without fretting or despairing or trying to destroy it or you know that your side has to. Just kind of pay attention to the fabric of your life, okay? Stay awake. The world is a... And here's the thing. You, you can say to me that the world is a horrible place. I knew that already. And also, stay awake has to do with staying awake in the darkness. 
Right? These guys were not the privileged class. They were the underbelly of the world. When Christianity started, right? Paul talks other places about how they persecute. If, if you kill, you know, if you kill these Christians, you do the emperor a favor. Okay. Stay awake in the darkness and be thankful. And for you who've been around a while, what is this word? Do you, who, would you want to take a wild guess what this word is? Thank you very much. Yes, of course, right? You've seen this a thousand times before, but here it is, right? Uh, we'll do that in a second, but it's the baseline word for the Eucharist, right? So when you go to the Holy Supper, um, of course, people come in. Even this morning, there are people crying at the altar. This happens every week. There's always somebody crying. You can see, you can read the distress on people's faces. Um, sometimes people are struggling with their kids. The other side is true, too. People come in great peace. You know, their kids are all lined up like little angels. You know, those buyer girls, one as good as the next, right? I know, they're like the holy family to us, right? This is really nice, right? There's a great kid. But I, in real honesty, you know, I always am most surprised when I walk into that hallway where there's 30 kids and nobody's crying. I just, you have great kids. I'm, it's just so nice. It's so nice, and they're so nice. I know there are, you know, sometimes there are rubs, but your kids are great, so bring them to church. It's really good. So devote yourself to prayer. <coughs> Watchful in the darkness and thankful for everything you've got, right? And pray for us too. So not just yourselves, right? Pray for me. I want you to pray for me. This is my standard line with old people who say, I just want to die. Pastors bump into this on a regular basis with people when you make home visits with people, especially accomplished people or people who've had a lot of family around who are now alone, accomplished people who are losing their ability to affect things. It's a common thing for people to say, I just want to die. I can't do anything. I just want to die. That's different than people who say, I've lived a great life. I'm thankful to God, and I'm happy that it'll take me home. That's a different conversation. This conversation of my life isn't worth anything, and I just want to die, the proper response is, oh, you pray for me. Pray for me as your pastor, right? And then if it works, we sort of talk about other people that you could be praying for. So devote yourselves to prayer, pay attention in the darkness, be thankful for what you see, pray for us too that God opens a door for the message so that we're, there's this kindness in prayer that love will indeed win out, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. The mystery of the Christ is that God comes to us in flesh and blood. That's the mystery. It's all described in Hebrews. The mystery of the world is that God loves us so that he'd become one like us that he takes flesh and blood. That's the mysterium. That's the mystery. That's the strangeness that people can't understand. That God loves us just the way he created us, and he loves us so that he'll take flesh and blood and stick with us, right? For which I'm in chains. There you go. I'm in chains because this isn't going so well. <clears throat> Pray that I may proclaim it clearly. So you know this thoughtful clarity of seeing the world as it is, not what it pretends to be. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now, it's, what's interesting is that you start to stack up these words. You realize, how one, how bright they were and um, how comprehensive this description is. Be wise. This is Sophia, like Hagia Sophia, the, you know, the great place in Istanbul. Probably the only place yet in my life I'd like to go. Um, I don't know that I'll make it there because it's, you know, it's a dicey walk. Uh, Hagia Sophia these days, but um, you know the brilliant thing. They, I think I told you this. You know, everything's connected to everything in my head, right? But they found in some excavations, they found a chalice. Around the rim, it says, 
exactly what the altar said in Hagia Sophia. The same, so you know this chalice belonged to this altar. Thine of thine own we offer thee, O Lord. So thine, body and blood, of thine own, Jesus Christ, we offer thee, O Lord. So the only resource we have when we stand before God is the body and blood of Jesus, inscribed around the rim of the chalice. So when it came to your lips, what you would see is that inscription, right? It would talk to you. Thine of thine own we offer thee, O Lord. That was also on the altar of Hagia Sophia, this genius of place, right? Be wise, intelligent, thoughtful, insightful. Be wise in how you act toward outsiders, which is give the best witness that you possibly can. So assess the situation, stay awake, see what's going on, talk clearly, be kind, be generous, have Christmas sharing, you know, support gifts for grace, blah, 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 blah. It's just, just be wise how you deal with other people. And then you who had a King James version, do you ever, do any of you remember how this used to read in the old, old King James? Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Anybody have to memorize this? And then it said, it had this beautiful fr phrase. Anybody remember this? Anybody? Redeeming, who, who said that? Yes. What is it? How's it go? Redeeming the time, which is such a much more beautiful way than make the most of every opportunity, right? I mean, that's you, yeah, make the most of your opportunities. This is a VC kind of expression here. You know, there's a chance to buy Uber early. No, this is like, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Redeeming the time. It's such, it's such a better way of talking. This exactly means, it means redeeming the time. It means you carry redemption out into the world. You redeem the time before the time when there won't be any more time. Right? So this is your job. You walk into the world with a life of prayer. You pay attention. You see the darkness. You see the light. You know the good. You're wise about how you engage other people. And your action of praying your way through life redeems the time, which, of course, means it redeems other people as well. How do you do that? Let your conversation always be full of grace. Again, back to Eucharistia, kara, all the kara words. And then it literally says, seasoned with salt. That's the literal way. And you all know what that means. Make it tasty. Right? And I just, you know, this is the whole, to be honest with you, and especially elder types pay attention, um, you know what? This is the whole hermeneutic of St. John, seasoned with salt. It's why you don't have a pole barn and sort of go through the motions and everybody's crabby and the coffee is horrible, right? This is why you flip the rooms to see if it works better for kids. This is why, you know, we try to engage visitors at the door. Everything that we do here, the whole hermeneutic is seasoned with salt so that people feel welcome, so that people feel loved, so they feel engaged, so your kids feel respected, so nobody's yelling at them, right? So they can come over Christmas sharing and um, goof around and have some fun, and everybody, like, and suddenly they get absorbed into, right, the way salt gets absorbed, seasoned with salt. Um, I think I told you that once when I was, maybe I didn't, I think I did, uh, one of the enduring... Uh, when I was young, long ago, in, in college, uh, one of the enduring um, memories I have is hearing Bishop Festo from Uganda speak. Um, this was a time when Idi Amin was killing and eating his enemies. I mean, literally killing and eating his enemies. Big magic, right? And I heard Bishop Festo give this talk about what it means to um, be salt in the world. And he, he sort of gave, he kind of paused and gave this very poignant thing where he said, to be salt is to be dissolved and to disappear. 
And once you know, right, he goes back to Uganda. Boom. Right? Right, so your life, you know, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. You've got to pay attention. You've got to know what's going on. So um, this is the way of um, being watchful, right? You pay attention to the world. You know what's going on. You um, can think carefully. You'll never argue people into believing in Jesus, but you might love them into it. And nevertheless, you do need to be able to at least engage on enough of an intellectual level that you don't look like a sect in the sense of an ignorant sect or a, a mysterious sect that doesn't know what they're all about. You know what you're all about, and you have to get your lines right. That's how you move through life in an engaging way. And yes, of course, it is the Holy Spirit who does the work. I'm just begging that we don't get in the way. The Holy Spirit's really good at what he does, right? He's got a 100% record. It's really good. But if we get in the way, that's not so good, right? So anyway, pay attention. As you move through the world, this tells you how to move through the world like salt. You make everything taste better. Right? That's how you move through the world. How you doing? You doing okay? Everything's still okay? Right. So this is your affect. You know, you don't go through life defeated, downcast. This is the end. It's never going to work. No, no. There's always the option of miracles. So now just a little bit then on thanking, right? Um, so interesting. Um, anybody read um, Harari's 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, this book that's all the rage? Do you know this guy? He's really academic. He's written um, a couple of books. And what's interesting is, you know, you kind of, people appear, I kind of watch, especially young people, I kind of watch in 20 to 30 what they're reading. I see a, this book in a lot of people's hands, Sapiens, right? And then Homo Deus was the second one. And now just on top of it. And this is everybody from, you know, Bill Gates just was on this yesterday in the Wall Street Journal. Bill Gates is one of the five books everybody should read. Um, Barack Obama was talking about it. There's all these people who are giving speeches talking about this kind of, he was kind of an obscure um, Israeli academic, wrote, wrote in Hebrew. Uh, specialty was kind of art of war. And he's kind of expanded into this darling of he's the guy that we can see forward. I've seen this him and this book cited, you know, a dozen times in the last three months, okay? The basic argument of the book, which I think that we can, there's a lot of things in this book you wouldn't disagree or that you wouldn't agree with in all three of the books. Um, you know, the first one is a, a book about evolution-ish and how we evolve, what our evolutionary needs are. The second one is about uh, Homo Deus. You can sort of get the point of this, right, that man is God and, and what our future will look like. Right? And there's a lot of talk about computers and AI and all kinds of stuff going on. And then this next one, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, this actually is a valuable lesson. Kind of the overarching sense of the book is that you should be afraid of the right things with the right measure. Isn't that interesting? So there are things, and part of the argument, you don't have to buy all this, but you, it is very interesting. Part of the argument is that we are evolutionarily wired to over-respond to death threats, right? We overcompensate because we have this will to live, so when all these things, when, when we're threatened with death, we over-respond. Well, here's the thing. In your world and mine right now, with all the incoming media, news, attention, nervousness, what? How do you feel all the time? Death-threatened, right? And so what happens is you've created a whole world full of people who overreact, can't see their way forward, despair, 
you know, or can only see darkness and then react to that with will to power and breaking other people and they're pressing him and killing him in embassies and cutting him up with bone saws. Right? Hmm. Such a strange world we live in. And into that world, you're supposed to be light in the darkness, seasoning things with salt, watchful and awake, and thankful. Seems like a bit of a stretch. Um, but then, you know, as Kleinig once uh, said to us um, over and over again, billions of good things happen to us every day, but we often focus on the three or four things that go wrong. So I just have you take this as a test case for your own life over the next, you know, week or now till Christmas. Just kind of tend yourself a little bit and think about what you're thinking about. And um, you make lists if you're a list-making kind of person, or you can just pay attention if you're a little more emotive and not you know, quite the, the list. But just sort of pay attention to what you're reacting to in the world. And ask yourself, or maybe, maybe a backhanded way into this is just to um, take note of the good things that happen to you every day. I mean already this morning, you know, starting with the Eucharist. But you know, the tenor of the kids, the happiness that was here, the high school that came in, you all coming for Bible study, this doesn't happen anywhere, many places else, right? Um, you know, the way that people show up and love each other, people who brought friends today, the way that you are kind to people who are visiting. I mean, you can just start stacking up the good things that happen. Boom, 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 boom. And yet, what will distract us? Something that happens bad, and it will be stretched all out of bounds, because even though it is a bad thing, we can't adjust our perspective because we've lost both our watchfulness and our thankfulness. We see monsters in the dark, and we don't know how big they are. Stay awake. We are bitter or broken or unthankful because why? We only tend to things that threaten us and not the things that are good for us. Paul is all about flipping you around. And one of the ways, I'm kind of get to the end, one of the ways this happens is that if you say your prayers. If you say your prayers, they automatically point you toward the things to be thankful for, right? So this Thanksgiving is a kind of insulation for us because it redirects our focus and our taste toward what is good, right? This is especially difficult with other people. We can spot betrayal evil, lies, brokenness, and other people a mile away. We can see other people as a threat very easily. And if we engage a threat without confidence, we overreact, we demonize, we push away. On the other side, we sort of gather our herd like the wildebeest when you know the lions come. If we do that, we're no longer a good witness in the world. We're no longer light in the darkness. And so, um, close by, we see this in our spouses, we see this in our children, in our next-door neighbor, sometimes in our people that we go to church with. We're very sensitive to the failures in other people. And we're not very sensitive to the joy that other people bring us, the good that's in them. And basically what Paul is asking you to do is to flip that script. Right? That you would think... When you see somebody else, there's a great, there's a great Nowen quote. I, don't, I run every year, but I don't want to run it too much, where he says, in our relationships with other people, we need to step over evil. Do you remember that? 
It's the most beautiful phrase, right? When in our relationships with other people, we, we see other people and we see the evil of them, we need to step over evil. Right? So this is what's um, happening in this text when you prep your prayers for Thanksgiving. So thankfulness then pushes us to what is true and noble and right and pure and lovely. It's there in Philippians. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true. So this is actually the word for facts. Whatever is fact-worthy, okay? Whatever is noble, um, this is what's elegant, honorable, dignified. Whatever is righteous in God's eyes, right? That's right. Whatever is pure, that's actually tied to worship. So whatever is fit for the sanctuary of the church, that's a pretty good descriptor, right? What you would do in church before the altar, before God, before other people. Whatever is lovely, this is the word for um, beautiful and pleasing. You know, So your senses are engaged. This is why hair shirt piety doesn't work in the church. Because... We're given to things that are beautiful. Go read the description of the temple or even the tabernacle. They carry around this thing made of oriental rugs, which is completely heavy, but beautiful. And when they set it down, they rejoice in the fact that it's lovely. Whatever is admirable, the sort of thing that people um, speak well of, so of good reputation, where good, of course, always goes back to how God defines good. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, that's the word for virtuous. So if it's tied to virtues, right? think about such things. Redirect your focus. Look, the easiest thing to do, the easiest job, you know what the easiest job in the world is? The easiest job in the world is to be a traveling political pastor who goes to any rally or any city in America and outlines the ills in that city. That is a piece of cake. You write one sermon your first year, and you give it for the next 40 years. And you give it in every venue with a slight tweak, but you can basically say, the people in this town are selfish, they are racist, they are sexist, right? They oppress little people, the politicians are crooked. The academics don't you know, don't know anything about real life. There's no medical care for people. You can hear this, right? In some iterate, this is the easiest job in the world to be a political pastor. Because it works in any in any town. You like stack up your condemnations and have a go. I mean, you, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. Right? The hard part is to be a pastor and to be a Christian where you can see the good in people where you can be hopeful and forgiving, where you can, as Luther says, love the unlovable, where you can turn the other cheek and pray for your enemy and lend to people who aren't going to give you money back, right? When you can treat the poor with dignity and feed people who are hungry. That's the hard part of being a Christian. The other part's easy. You don't even need to be a Christian to do it. So the big point is that if we are to work with Jesus or if we're meant to do the work of Jesus, if we're meant to stay awake and be light in the darkness, then it's important for us to see the world with Jesus' eyes. So I've given you this very simple definition of being a Christian, which is to see as Jesus sees and speak as Jesus speaks and do as Jesus does. Piece of cake, right? Except he's really good at it, and we're really not so good at it many days. 
Um, I really can kind of finish this up in the next few minutes because I've done most of it ahead. Carol was very helpful. Remember that this is point five. Remember that this word, Thanksgiving, Eucharistia, is tied to charis, which is grace, and kara, which is joy. Right? The things that delight us, the things that charm us, the things that bestow beauty, um, the things that are sympathetic toward others. And of course, this isn't just a natural virtue. For Paul, this is tied to the cross. You see the ultimate um, charis and kara, the gift and the joy, in Christ on the cross. That God would die for you and then give you that gift uh, in his word and in his sacraments. And so this word, I turned the page, but it's, it's the word used for how you kiss before the supper and how you live in moral purity and how you live opposite the world even though you're in the world. So these two things, I'm at point number six, but it's easy to finish up. These two things are what... Uh, so here's what I would like you to do. I'd like you to bend your bump and nudge your prayers a little bit, if you could, at least for this week. Just give it a try with some, um, a little more attention to watching, thanking, thanking, and watching. Thanking and watching. See the world as it is for all its trouble. See the darkness, but don't participate in it, and don't despair. Be light in the darkness the way Jesus is light in the darkness. You know, C.S. Lewis had this great image, and it made more sense back closer to World War II, where he talked about Jesus as being, he said, Jesus is like, um, he's like, he's like, a, so he, he, he's like a, a James Bond type who gets dropped behind enemy lines, right? So he parachutes in behind enemy lines, and one by one, he sort of picks off the opposition, right? That's how, that's how you are, right? You're light in the darkness, and you do that by staying awake, which means you get a good understanding of the world. You're afraid about things in a proper perspective. So you see things that are, of course, evil and threatening, but you hold them in proper perspective against the cross, knowing that Jesus had the final say, and you've got to get some work done now. Right? It's dangerous, but you can't fail at it because you're tied to Jesus who will have the last word. And so, um, you know, I've given this, you know, what Kleinig said to me once, you know, this is under, you know, long ago, far away. Bruzek, Satan is an idealist. Jesus is a realist, right? So this idea to see with Jesus' eyes. And then, um, you know, St. Gregory, who talks about uh, the more wakeful you become, the more thankful you become, the more thankful you become, the more wakeful you become. These two things sort of chase each other. You see more in the world, you become more thankful for it. You become more thankful, you see more in the world. This is your life going forward. And it could at least be in one kind of prayer. Let me just kind of encourage you, if you could, um, in your prayers, you know, you could, you could say prayer. You know, your prayers could go something like, you know, Heavenly Father, the world's a mess, and here are the things that trouble me. Go ahead, let them go. But I know that in the end, you know, you'll, you'll sort everything out. And, and this is very important, I pray that you sort it out for good, especially for my enemies, right? That your light would extend even to those who hate us and persecute us, to those who take the world in, a, in the wrong direction, right? You pray for leaders, you pray for peace, you pray against injustice, and you pray that you'd be used well. So you look around and then refocus and... Um, See if that doesn't change you just a little bit. 
Uh, I've given you, we did all the rest of this we did on a different day. So especially the orders of location, we come back to that if you want, but it's time to go. Anyway, make sense? So try to, try to bump and nudge this week. Maybe just try to bump and nudge your prayers gently. And it's as easy as, Christ, I'm very thankful for, right? Or Christ, protect me from. Or Christ, help me to be light in the darkness, right? Awake. Pay attention to what the world looks like. Awake. But then also thankful. I mean, you're still here. The great uh, cataclysm hasn't come yet. And when it comes, of course, look up and enjoy it. Uh, you know, your final victory is Christ's final victory, vice versa. All right, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, friends. Uh, see you next week. Come Wednesday, too.